welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. Kev, it's you and me this time, man. You and me, buddy. Ride or die. Uh, we're talking about endings today. So maybe like straight away, I'll just say that, you know, everything we're going to talk about is going to be a spoiler. But yeah. I don't know. We, we haven't told each. We're, we're each going to choose two of our favorite video game endings. Our favorite climaxes. And... <laughs> excuse me and uh and we haven't told each other what games we're choosing so i just want to say up top that anything we talk about in this episode will be a spoiler but i don't know about you Kev. i'm not talking about anything even remotely new like one of my games is from the 90s so it's like you know not nothing i'm not spoiling Baldur's game <laughs> or anything yeah. like that you know <laughs> yeah i'm kind of assuming that anything we talk about today like anyone who was you know excited to play it probably has done in the past decade-ish Perfect. Um, but yeah, it, just in case if it is, if there are games that are on your radar, you know, maybe have a look in the episode description or something. We might have the, the names of the games there. And um... we might. I don't know if we will. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. We we talked about this beforehand before we started recording, and now I'm acting all like, will we have it in the description? <laughs> will we? <laughs> yeah. I guess, much like in Baldur's Gate, we'll just have to roll the dice. Oh, brilliant, man. That's absolutely excellent. Speaking of Baldur's Gate, actually. I'm not playing it, are you? <laughs> no, no. Um, it is the zeitgeist choke at the moment. It's the thing that's choking the zeitgeist, as you say. Uh, but I don't... Oh, shit, I can't talk about either, damn it. Yeah, like, I'm not playing it, not because I'm not interested, but because my partner, Zara, is playing it. Okay. And uh, it has fully consumed her life. Well, that's like, good. Like, I, I've barely seen her. At the time of recording, it's been out for about... 72 hours i think she's racked up about 30 hours played oh, I, probably, I, I probably shouldn't give this out on a podcast but no, eh, she doesn't listen to it it's fine um yeah so she she had played like the early access stretch of it um just like the the opening act like five times through fully mm-hmm. so even though she has 30 or so hours played she's barely seen new content um and she's still absolutely loving it she's doing this stuff for the sixth time round, and it's still just completely enamored with it she's a big and, D&D head isn't she for sure yeah and I am as well um right. but I, I I tried the early access played like an hour got enough of a vibe of it I was like yeah I'm gonna want to play this eventually don't want to spoil anything else for me so I stopped where she went fully the other direction was like give me all of this at once five or six times love it um and yeah she's uh they have not disappointed the the full release appears to be every bit as good as, as yeah, they it would I'm be. I'm hearing that too. Yeah, I'm hearing that too. It's very exciting. I will play it at some point. What are you playing at the moment, Kev? I am playing um, a different nerdy turn-based RPG. Um, I am playing a game called Chained Echoes. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to get around to it, you bastard. You got there first. Yeah, because it's on Game Pass, buddy. Aye, aye, aye. It's always better when it's free, asterisks. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's. I'm not going to go into too much detail on it um, because if I start, I'll be here all fucking day. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is a sort of traditional JRPG in the style of Final Fantasy VI, in particular, is sort of the, the big cultural touchstone for it. Oh, it's, it's got that that combination of sort of uh, sword and sorcery stuff mixed with like there's mech suits, steampunk and yeah. steampunk and industrial and trains and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, you can't suplex a train, but it's yeah. as close to. Um, and it just it it's it's like someone took like a, a a stock template of an early to mid nineties like or a SNES era JRPG, took that template and went, how can we sand off all these rough edges that make these old games not that fun to play anymore? Now I'm not saying, listen, I know, I know yeah, I'm, I was about to fucking throw hands now. Yeah, but I, I mean, if it. if someone had never played a JRPG before and launched up into Earthbound or something. <laughs> They're going to have a, a kind of a rough time, despite point, how good point, it is. Point taken, yeah. Um, so Chain Echoes has basically done away with grinding encounters. There's no random encounters. The enemies are, are visible on the map. You can avoid them in a lot of cases. You level up only after sort of milestone boss fights. So when you beat the boss of an area, you get one sort of point to spend to level up. Your other fights you can grind to kind of like level up your skills to a degree but it's not necessary it's just there if you want to do it so they've taken the grind out of it in a massive way um there's like a a good breadth of characters a lot of different like versatility of skills you can get up to i think 12 playable characters you can have 
eight sort of equipped at any one time and you can hot swap between them in combat with four present at any one time so it's just really versatile um there's no thing where you like you start a fight and you're like i can't win this because someone hasn't equipped the right doodah or something there's always something you can change something you can you can jimmy around to make it work and sort of most impressively for one of these games especially considering it, it's essentially made by one guy one german guy called matthias linda um it's it's beautiful the soundtrack is amazing and the plot is legitimately really good oh shit which is not always a given for these sorts of games but it's it's riveting like i'm really really into it uh howlongtobeat.com has it at about 35 hours to finish it i'm about 60 hours in and i don't know if i'm close to credits because i've just been doing everything available to me and absolutely loving it so strong recommend there it's giving me the vapors that came a little bit because you mm. know I'm all about them SNES JRPGs. Yeah, I think you personally would absolutely fucking love it. It's been on my radar for a long time, even before it released, and I just like just I just whiffed it. I just haven't played it yet. Yeah, you'll get around to it. I believe in you. Um, yeah, maybe I'll play it for free on Game Pass. Oh, I don't have an Xbox. Someday, someday we'll, we'll convert you to Team Green. <laughs> I'm not really playing much at the moment, to be perfectly honest with you. Be perfectly honest, you there, you hey, look, listeners. But um, I was hanging out with my older brother over the long weekend. Um, uh, shout out to Dave, who does listen to this podcast. What up, Dave? <laughs> yeah. And we played a couple of co-op games. So that's literally all I got. I haven't, I haven't been playing anything single player since Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, I, we, I, he'd never played It Takes Two, so we went through that. Fantastic. Uh, nothing else to say about to reiterate that it's actually a fucking wonderful game. I really do think it's a modern classic, and it's replaying it again. But I played, I got to play as the other character this time, so now I've done everything in that game. I um, I just think it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And we also played. Oh, I think I talked about that in the best games of 2021. If anyone wants to hear me waffle on about it, takes mm-hmm. two. Yep. I really like that game. And we played. Um, and this is the game I played with you, Kev, and I played it with Ooh. other two on this podcast jonathan and Owen, those guys yeah <laughs> we all played it. other, other two that's what i'm saying we all played it's what i'm saying well i've played some uh teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge which is a throwback to old uh classic uh side-scrolling beat-em-ups uh, very specifically the turtles ones like turtles and time and stuff then like it's just uh you know yourself Kev. it's such a breezy simple but very charming game just chunky 16-bit graphics and 90s aesthetics up to wazoo but uh, when I was playing with you, Kev, um, we were like chatting to each other like this. You know, we were on mm. on, on a call, so we I, I didn't have like the volume up or anything like that in the game. I was just listening to you, your yeah. dulcet, your dulcet tones. When I was playing it with my brother, I just, oh my god, man, it's just so it's the most nineties nineties thing ever. Some of the levels have like lyrics in the in the music and everything. Oh and really? Just, like, yeah, <laughs> it's just like rap music and nineties <laughs> kind of rap music and kind of little bops playing. It's just a very comfy game. <laughs> that's all i just think it's very cool i don't have much more to say about it than that i think the turtles are having a bit of a moment right now kev aren't they the... yeah for sure i thought with the, that turtles game i mean obviously i haven't been given it a fair shake because i too have had the telly turned down and didn't know about this amazing <laughs> soundtrack stuff i would say with the like streets of rage 4 that came out relatively recently mm. that's a game that we played through as well and that i absolutely love i think it's way better than it has any right to be oh, agreed, way better yeah. than it needs to be i think that turtles game is about as good as it needs to be yeah I think it, it, it's it's nowhere near as sort of impressive as Streets of Rage 4. It doesn't need to be. It's just a fun time. I'm, I'm glad this genre, this particular genre, has been kept alive by some developers because it's a big part of my childhood. Like, I massively grew up with the likes of Streets of Rage and um, Double Dragon, Final Fight, what have you. So, you know, I really kind of, um, I don't know if it's uh, not underrated, but maybe these days forgotten about um, great game in that genre, which kind of, came out in like the late 2000s and was kind of like a kind of return to that genre which hadn't been around as have you ever played castle crashers no i haven't actually it's great and it's it really really reminds me of that era that kind of early xbox 360 era like at the beginning of like the indie game boom and and xbox um just buying things online is what is what i'm is what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah playing indie games like braid and um <laughs> and literally any other indie game limbo i can never remember Lim- i can never remember limbo when I, I yeah. can, my brain was literally just going inside inside i'm like no it's not the correct name of that game but uh, yeah, castle crashers really reminds me of that era so i just thought i'd bring that up really briefly just entered my head but how about instead of um opening this podcast hold on i got this how about instead of opening this podcast we talk about 
endings of games. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. you, you, you think that was okay? I'm very disappointed in myself, but <laughs> you're a good friend, man. That's all, yeah. that's all I'll say. No worries, buddy. It's like I said, it's exactly as good as it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Um, so we've chosen two endings, uh, our favorite endings, um, quote unquote, from video games uh, in the vast array we played over the years. Um, we haven't told each other what we've chosen and we're going to like go one, you go first, Kevin, then I'll do one and then, you know, we'll continue in that fashion. How does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So um, conveniently, because you just mentioned Braid, the game that I've chosen to start with is The Witness. Oh. Um, now, The Witness is a game that I believe you've played and I don't think you've finished. Is that correct? Correct. I'm not, not, putting, you, not putting you on blast. Like I'm just trying to work yeah, out. It's very hard. It is very hard. And I think you've kind of summed up the central thesis of what I was about to say. It's <laughs> it's really fucking hard. So for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's a first person puzzle game um, designed by a guy called Jonathan Blow, who is also the brains behind the aforementioned Braid. Um, he's kind of a divisive figure in video games where sort of on one hand, he gets a lot of praise for really inventive, clever games. And then on the other hand, occasionally raises some eyebrows for his um, medium to moderately spiced opinions. Um, nothing like problematic or, or hate crimey. Just um, <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> just, just he's just kind of a kind of a smug, pretentious dude. Um, well, I couldn't tell that from his games. Oh wait, I absolutely <laughs> can. Yeah, as he, good as they are, you know. <laughs> he, he's, he's basically he's gone on the record saying that pretty much every video game, other than the ones he makes, are bad, and then sort of exp- expand, expands that to be like, and also like all software that he didn't personally code is just kind of bad. He's he's like gone on the record saying that he believes that software hasn't advanced, like software or programming in general hasn't advanced since the mid nineties. Um, he's, he believes that, uh, storytelling doesn't work in video games. He thinks it's not the correct medium for it. And that any attempts have been failures. Um, interesting. Yeah. He's gotten to the point where he, uh, is creating his own proprietary programming language to make his games in future (laughs) because he believes that sort of the established ones just aren't up to his standard. Um, I would say, I would say what's quite annoying is that. I think it's reductive to say that you can't tell stories in video games because I think in video games you can like do anything. That's the point. Mm-hmm. There's no correct way to do anything. But what is kind of annoying about hearing that response is he is one of the pioneers in like truly interesting, innovative storytelling in video yeah, games. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> the truly galling thing here. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Despite the takes, his, his games are works of absolute genius. Braid, uh-huh. okay, I, I'll just briefly say because you're talking about The Witness, but Braid... Yeah blew my mind when it came out like i was really i was i was was about 18 so i was growing up and i was at that kind of age when maybe i was starting to be more analytical towards video games so this big pretentious kind of deconstruction of famous video game tropes married to these like amazing um creative uh, mechanics was almost like perfect timing for me to be playing when i was like a little fucking 18 year old twerp that game was like seminal I thought it was absolutely the most fascinating thing and it really got me thinking about game design and narratives and games and how to tell a story through gameplay and stuff like that and stuff that I've carried over to, you know, this illustrious podcast and like Braid really was like, so again, <laughs> he sounds like an asshole, but fuck, that guy kind of changed my life gaming-wise. Like Braid, I truly think is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's, it's like you gotta, you gotta begrudgingly give it to him. Like he, <laughs> he says a lot of stuff, but he backs it up. And the witness is you're going to carry this part, but the witness is phenomenal. It's so good. He might be right. It might be <laughs> the most video game game ever. It might just be the perfect bit of game design. Yeah, it, I it's, hate to it, say it. It's galling, but yeah, he, <laughs> he is onto something. Um, yeah, for anyone who, who doesn't know the witness, basically, it, like I said, it's a first-person puzzle game. Um, all you do throughout the entirety of the game is you, you solve these maze puzzles by drawing lines. I've said puddles once so far. It was adorable, can I just say? I <laughs> yeah. loved it. Yeah, if we could, I don't know, if we get like a, if you can edit in a little ding in post every time I say it, because I feel like it's <laughs> going to happen. Um, so yeah, so basically the start of the game starts out really simple. You, you start off just in this straight, narrow tunnel. Uh, in front of you is a door, and in order to open the door, you have to solve the puzzle on it. And the puzzle on it is literally just a straight line. So you start at one end, 
you trace a path along it to the other end, job done, door opens. Uh, letting you out in this sort of uh, open world island for you to explore that's littered with these puzzles um, that sort of increase in complexity as you go along. So it starts off with you maybe just having to like navigate through a maze to get from one end to the other. And then maybe there's like the maze is there, but there's a black symbol and a white symbol. And you have to draw a line to the end that also separates those two symbols. And then there's ones with like uh, Tetris pieces um, where you have to like recreate the shape of the Tetris piece before you exit the maze to get that to unlock. So they keep adding these new um, rules to how you solve the puzzle without ever telling you the rule. It just yeah, introduces yeah, yeah. them with sort of a relatively straightforward one. And when you get that, it brings you on to the next one and the complexity ramps up as you go through it and starts adding additional rules, things like uh, these two shapes can't be touching each other or these two shapes always have to go together. Um, so it's by repeatedly doing the idea and increasing the complexity each time that you kind of snap into it and, and, and you, you sort of get on his level. It kind of, it reminds me of the sort of the, the Mario level design trick where they, you know, at the start of a level, they'll introduce an idea to kind of iterate through it throughout the level. And then the final third will normally be where they like increase the stakes. And then you have to show that you've understand, understood yeah. what the trick or the knack to the level is. It's like that. But you don't see the, you don't see the author's hand teaching you yeah, and then challenging you with what you've learned. You're just playing a game. Yeah, exactly. You're just, you're learning through gameplay. You're getting better as you go. There's no XP. There's no leveling up. You don't find um, guidebooks that tell you what's going to come up next. It's literally just you figuring out the solution that's been there from the start. Um, so before long, the game starts combining the rules then. So you'd have like those Tetris pieces I mentioned earlier are back, but maybe now one is black and one is white. So you have to go, okay, well, this is obviously the two rules combined. Yeah, so yeah, I have to, yeah. I'll have to adhere to both at the same time. Um, and then once you start to get a hang on that, the game pulls the focus away from the boards altogether and starts introducing puzzles based on the environment around you. So like there's one where the, the mazes have like, or the boards have no mazes drawn on them whatsoever. You just have to stand in the right position and use the shadows of nearby trees to figure out what the patterns on the board are and then trace those. Or there's ones where you're like in a, a grove of trees and there's birds chirping, repeating patterns, and you need to like trace that one was, the melodies. That one was insane. When, when, when I finally realized I was supposed to be listening, to, I was like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> this game has never had me do this before. I'm like, the birds chirping. This is a part of it. And it's just one of those eureka moments. It was fantastic. Yeah. So it, 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 it does this thing where it is constantly throwing new ideas at you yeah um and each each time that you get it you get that that new idea that new twist you complete that that series of puzzles two things happen one you've added a new tool to your toolbox for solving further puzzles in the game and two this like robot laser opens up and shoots a beam up to the top of the mountain in the middle of the island so when you've completed enough of the biomes around the place enough of the the, the areas enough of these laser beams have intersected at the top of the mountain and a door opens in the mountain allowing you to access the end game area so you go in through this sort of uh, lost-esque hatch and descend down into the mountain um, and then basically you make your way down through i think it's like four levels within the mountain solving these again increasingly difficult puzzles in this case now it's pulling from the rules that you've learned from all the biomes scattered all around the island so mm. it's it's throwing things that have never been combined at you, throwing things at you that have never been combined before. And you just have to keep thinking on your toes and working out what the solutions are. It gets increasingly difficult and brain hurty until you get to the very base of the mountain. So you're down in the very bottom of it. You're in this giant sort of hollowed out cave that's looking out onto the ocean, looking out from the island. And there's six pillars in the room. And each pillar has a puzzle on it that draws from some of the earliest ideas that you see. So not necessarily the more complex stuff that you've run into lately. It's, it's going back to the fundamentals, but with a new twist where the puzzles are wrapped around the pillars. So you can't, it's, it, every time previously, you've been able to see the full board, but this time it's, it's wrapped around the pillars. So you have to think in 3D. So you're trying to figure out the rules, trace a path through the puzzle and trying to do that when you can only see a fraction of the board at any one time. So okay. eventually you sort of, you recover from the inevitable nosebleed of trying to work that out. You solve those six puzzles. And what happens is 
an elevator appears in the water at the end of the cave. So you, you get into the elevator, you, you do one little last line puzzle to close the door behind you, and the elevator starts to ascend. And it's sort of, there's no building around you, there's no scaffolding, there's no frame. So you're not really being ascended up into anything. You just sort of fly up past this mountain that you've just spent the last, in my case, hours trying to solve your way down through. You fly up until you're up over the entire island. You just get this view of, of the whole island below you. And then once you're kind of up over it, the lift starts moving forward. And then it starts to descend and it brings you back down to the island and starts kind of weaving its way around through the different biomes and past the, the puzzles that you'd solved on your way to get there. And so the, the camera movement starts to become more fluid and kind of sweeping, swings and swoops around. And the actual, um, like the physical frame of the elevator starts to just fade away. And on, after a couple of seconds, it's, it's just gone. Like the the narrative framing of you being a lift is gone, and now it's just the free flo- free floating camera, sort of getting taken on a tour around the island. It's sort of like a like a like a victory lap to remind you of all the clever shit that you had to figure out how far to, you've come. To, yeah, to get to the ending. So it brings you back past the puzzles that might have stumped you for 20, 30 minutes at a time before, and just breezes past them, and it sort of slowly does this winding lap around the entire island. Um, before going back to the starting point it arrives back at that that first tunnel restarted and the camera reverses in until you're back in the original position where you started the door in front of you closes and relocks and the game gives you back control Hmm. so and without telling you again because nothing in the game is is told to you it just starts you on a new playthrough sort of a new game plus you're back at it again except this time you're armed with all the information that you had the first time round, you can find all the hidden shit that you missed the first time round, and there is absolutely tons of hidden stuff like so much of that game so much of the environment is a puzzle that you just don't see the first time round. there's things like lining up the sun with the post of a gate and being able to draw a line around it and opening an entirely new path through the island or trying to get to an elevated spot and like drawing lines on the path that you took to get there or drawing lines into a hedge maze to unlock more stuff. Um, but it, it's that ending in particular that really stuck with me. That sort of, it's like, it, it brings you on this victory laugh. It gives you this pat on the back, this sort of congratulations for figuring it out. And then it's like a Rubik's cube that sort of re-scrambles itself once you've solved it and lets you go at it again with this new information. Um, I just found it incredibly satisfying. I was going to say, like, why? Why is this one of your favorite endings? Was it just like an almost like just joyous experience because the game was so challenging that it was almost just the culmination of it was just so satisfying? Is that I, is that I, what makes it a good ending? I think that's it. Yeah, I think it, it. And it's it's because it's funny that like it's it's the first thing you said when I mentioned the winners is that this game is hard. And oh, it yeah. is, like, it's it's yeah. not, and it's not like like Dark Souls hard or whatever you, where you can go away and level up and come back because you hit harder. Um, like if you if you can't figure out a puzzle in the witness. Your options are look it up or literally never solve it. I, I think one of the little wee soundbites I had for it is like, you know, if you're playing a Metroid game, you know, you upgrade Samus's suit with a new gun, new beams, mm-hmm. new boots to make her jump. All the beams and boots and whatever <laughs> are happening in your brain in the witness. The upgrade the upgrading of the character is in your brain. And like in, in the same way you could be like grinding in a JRPG and, and finding enemies that you can't beat. You know, and like, oh, I can't get further now. In the witness, you may not be able to get further because of your own gray matter, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's the satisfaction of actually being able to finish it, despite the sort of the challenge posed, and then it's the way that the sort of the when the lift fades away, it's like it's 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 dropping, like the the, the pretense of you being a character in the game or anything it was you it's basically yeah it's gonna look this is what you did and it like it kind of gracefully sort of swoops around and shows you all these puzzles that you struggled with before reminds you of like remember all this remember what you did here and then puts you back at the start and goes okay go get him tiger you can do it Mm. i just absolutely loved it i will say that this is one of i think three endings to the witness um and the other endings i'm not going to dwell on too long because they're absolutely batshit crazy. Okay. Um, 
You well, just like the joyous feeling of finishing the thing. Yeah, because um, Jonathan Blow can't leave well enough alone. There has yeah, to be, yeah. because I mentioned all, all that hidden stuff and all those like hidden puzzles. Um, one yeah. of the hidden puzzles, particularly early on, like brings you essentially out of bounds of the game, brings you to like a brand new area. And when you get to the end of it, the screen blacks out and you see uh, a sort of a true ending. And the true ending is six minutes of FMV footage of a man in first person walking around the office where they made the game okay. before he eventually <laughs> falls down a flight of stairs and spills two liters of his own piss on himself. Um, yep. And you're not you're not including that on your list of favorite endings, are you? No, no, no. It's it's the it's the magic elevator one that I prefer. It's like it reminds me of um, his previous game, Braid, because Braid is just um metaphor for kind of a relationship told through a side-scrolling platformer mm -hmm. but there's also um, a lot of speculation very topical actually that braid is also about um the manhattan project and the creation of the atomic bomb and stuff like that and you're like okay jonathan blow <laughs> fair <laughs> enough simmer down love yeah yeah and all that i've always preferred personally the simple reading of it yeah it has a shockingly intelligent um very clever um final boss that kind of recontextualizes the story mm. but apparently there's enough um material there to the whole thing being about a metaphor for creating nuclear weapons <laughs> so, right. so fair enough <laughs> it kind of really makes me want to play the witness kev but i don't think i have the kind of you know mental fortitude at the moment to go yeah back and, like to go back and dive into that yeah it's um it's not one to be taken lightly. I know it sounds silly to say that about a game, but it's it's so hard at times, and the, the difficulty is exclusively you not understanding what you're being shown that it can it can be very off putting and frustrating if it's not clicking for you. So I, I get that. Kev, you sold it there amazingly, but I just have to just throw on my hat for anyone listening. To, uh, huge recommendation for the witness. It's special. It's one of those special yeah. games, you know. And I'm saying that as someone that didn't even finish that goddamn thing. I just think it's. It's also a very good game for someone walking past the TV while you're playing it, also getting sucked into its orbit and kind of playing it beside you. That's yeah, like for sure. A really, that's a really good thing because it's almost the puzzles in it are universal, you know, they're not wrapped around any mechanics. Yeah, I think that's probably why I had such a such a, an affection for the game as well, is that at the time I was playing it, I was actually living back in my parents' house and mm -hmm. that exactly happened. That my, my mom was sort of yeah, in yeah, yeah. the next room and sort of saw it through a doorway and kind of came in and went, you're not doing that right. It's like, yeah, yeah. no, ma'am, you don't know what I'm doing. She's like, no, but you're not doing it right. It's like, okay. And it led to about 45 minutes of her, like, effectively being 100% correct and showing me that I wasn't doing the puzzle right. But she had just sort of picked it up at a glance walking past. Very good. I like that. Kev, um, for my first one, um, this is another topic for an episode where I've contrived a way to talk about... banjo Tui. It's not Banjo. I've contrived a way to talk about um, a Japanese visual novel. For the second time, actually, we've talked about this series. Because when we, you and I, back in action, when we did, um, I think it was our Guilty Pleasure games, mm. I used that as an opportunity to talk about one of my favorite Nintendo 3DS games called virtue's last reward the second iteration of the zero escape series and now in this episode i'm talking about one of my favorite ds games the first game in the zero escape trilogy which has one of the worst titles in human history it's called nine hours nine persons nine doors i'm doing it man this is finally ripping off the band-aid of talking about this ending uh, on this podcast i'm so I'm, proud of you buddy i'm frightened about talking about it because <laughs> it's a big sell but I, it really it's a, it's a big ask to get someone on board with this, and it's worth it. <laughs> and I've no, I, I don't have any doubt in your ability to do it. But I don't so envy a, you. It's a very silly. The, the game is a very silly Japanese um, visual novel about. It's kind of I've described it before as Japanese saw. Yeah, it's about nine people who get um, kidnapped by a, a nefarious person in a gas mask called Zero, and they're all put into um, a massive ocean liner. They're all trapped in there, and they have to go around essentially solving puzzles to get out and find a door with the number nine in it. You play as a college student called Junpei. Uh, he has one of the other people who's captured along with him as one of his childhood, is his childhood friend called Akane. That's um, important <laughs> going forward. <laughs> and 
like I don't I don't think I need to get into the meat and potatoes of like the plot plot like what goes on just to say that despite the fact that they're they have nine hours to to escape you know there's that um that Luno narrative dissonance Kev mm. where despite the fact that they should be rushing the characters <laughs> like to stand around in that game to talk about all sorts philosophy <laughs> science whatever is on their mind ancient like, that's Egypt just, ancient Egypt that's just the vibe of the game you have to meet it halfway but the reason is because I, all the things they talk about actually tie into what well, one of the main <laughs> things that the game is about, which is the ability to create morphogenic fields. Mm-hmm. What's that, Kev? Uh, it is the whole premise of the game is essentially this idea that when people are under duress or when they're like in danger, they're able to basically psychically <laughs> send their like feelings and their thoughts to other people who they have connections with. Is that important to the ending? Yes, it's so important to the ending. It's the most important thing about the ending. Actually, <laughs> I'm sweating here trying to <laughs> trying to explain the story. You got this, buddy. You got this. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like long story short, as you keep playing the game, you're you're there's nine characters, but one of them, uh, your best friend Akane, your childhood crush, she starts she's she's just getting a touch of the vapors. She starts getting you know very sweaty, and 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 feverish. And you're like, what's going on? And then one time she just disappears. But that's only in one of the timelines. Wait, Kev, did I mention that <laughs> the game branches into multiple timelines depending on choices you make? And actually had the functions of the game is to actually go back and restart it and fast forward through bits you've done and then make other choices to see where, you know, the, the different narrative paths that take you down. And then eventually Junpei starts remembering things that happen in other paths. Like, what's going on there? Mm. Okay, now the ending. <laughs> The ending. You end up in a furnace. Right, that's right, Kevin, isn't it? Yep. You, end up, you end up in a furnace? Yeah. Or does Okay. So it turns out that this um this nonary game, as it's called, this idea of trapping nine people and making them solve puzzles, has happened before. It happened as an experiment to test this idea of the creating morphogenic fields. And what what they did was they had a big ocean liner out in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And they had a fake one made in a desert that was an exact copy. And they got a bunch of children who are all twins. And they put one twin, uh, n- there's nine sets of twins. They put, and they put one set, Jesus, they put one, <laughs> they put one of each set of twins on the fake boat. And there's no danger on that boat. And then they put the other ones on to the one out in the ocean, which is rigged to explode if they don't solve the puzzles. And the experiment is supposed to be let's see if. The twins can transfer the information to each other. To, to, if the ones are if the ones are truly in danger, then they should be able to send information to the other ones on how to solve puzzles. And that's the experiment. But you know what these experiments get? Things go wrong, don't they? Oh, and like, in what can only be described as a massive cock up, they they accident they accidentally put two twins into the into the danger boat. They're supposed to be the siblings are supposed to be separated. Ah. Oh. And one of those twins is Akane when she was a child, your childhood friend, right? And she ended up in a situation where she was in a furnace and she had to solve a puzzle, but God damn it, she was not able to because she has no one to send her information in a morphogenic field. But Kev, what if you could send information to the morph- morphogenic field through time? Wouldn't, yeah. that be in- wouldn't that be interesting? What if in a paradoxical sense... Akane both burnt alive in that furnace, but also grew up to be able to create her own nonary game years later, capture nine people, including herself, to pretend to be that she's like, you know, not the, the head honcho of this whole thing. And what then if she could get her old friend Junpei and, and put him in a complete perfect recreation of the exact same scenario she went through as a child? And then maybe their connection through the morphogenic field, he could get to that furnace, couldn't he, Kev? And he, could, and he could feed information back in time to the young Akane and save her. And maybe the reason why she's getting a touch of the vapors and getting all feverish in the present is because you've gone down a timeline where she's died in that furnace and, you know, and you're changing the present. And anyway, this is bonkers. It's a bit shit. Why is it one of my favorite endings? I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Let's remember that Junpei in the present is is on a perfect recreation of that boat that Akane was on as a child. And let's also remember that the Nintendo DS has two screens. 
So all the story elements throughout the entire game, you have you have kind of ad kind of prose like narration from Junpei, which is supposed to be his kind of like inner thoughts. You have character dialogue and all that. Uh, the characters who's you know chatting to him, who's like trapped on the boat with him, all occurs on the top screen. And everything on the bottom screen where you click with the stylus, like you examine things, the only writing on that is kind of non-story stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, item descriptions and what you're clicking on and stuff like that. And when you lumber to that insane ending <laughs> where Junpei and Akane are both in the same furnace only years apart, but they're, connect but they're connected through the morphogenic fields, the cool twist is that it turns out the entire game you've been seeing Junpei's story on the top screen and Akane's story on the bottom screen and that they're linked through time, through information they're feeding to each other. And for the whole game, you've been little girl Akane on the bottom screen and you've been Junpei on the top screen. And I just think that is so smart, Kev. And like, it is a damn convoluted story, as you know. A fun one. I love this yeah. game to bits, even though I'll admit like, you know, it's Japanese nonsense in a lot of way. You know, it's very flowery Japanese nonsense, but none, but none the same. But um, I just think it's so clever to like use the, the what for lack of a better word, what was the peripheral, the hardware that mm. you're using to kind of aid in such a story twist. And I don't think it would work as well. Case in point, it doesn't work as well if you play the PlayStation Four re-release of the game. Yeah. which should be the better game because it has full voice acting, it has HD character sprites, the things that the original DS one doesn't. But you lose that aspect of the two screens and that the big rug pulled from under your feet that you've been playing as almost like two different characters and two different timelines for the entire thing. Like, just saying that, what an, like, convoluted though it may be, what an ambitious story beat to try to do. And the fact that, you know, I'm still thinking about it years later, is kind of like, I think they pulled it off. I think it's one of the more interesting you know video game video game endings for that reason but if you play it on the ps4 you kind of just have the description of it don't you and it is kind yeah. of just it is just kind of batshit insane and a bit silly yeah how did you find when you were playing it on the ps4 i i really like the game um yeah yeah i know you do yeah well it's but, hard not to like but yeah the, that ending is not impactful on the ps4 at all i don't know is what's the the actual puzzle that you solve in the furnace at the end on the ds Oh my god, I could be getting this wrong because it's a, it's different in both of them. But yeah, did you do Sudoku? I did. I just did a Sudoku. That's yeah. That's, that's, all that's in the PlayStation one. The, the DS one has a different puzzle that requires touchscreen controls <laughs> that I don't think they could replicate. And uh, does that does that kind of take the drama away when it's like the music is swelling up and you realize what's happening and then you just have to do Sudoku? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> you don't have the hardware for that sort of plot reveal to work, so you just kind of get told. Oh, by the way, uh, both stories were happening. So that's something that happened. And and your your reward is to literally just do a standard Sudoku. Like there's no there's no twist to it. There's no sort of you know, it's not even done in sort of an anime styling. It's just like boxes and numbers appear on the screen and you just sit there until you've your Sudoku done and then you see the ending. It's it's absolute dog shit to be honest. Um but I still love the game. But yeah. <laughs> well I I hope I was able to convey how interesting it is i because it, it truly is just that twist with the screens is why i'm putting it on this episode not because of the grand story of 999 even though it's fun in a kind of meet it halfway silly yeah. kind of way but it's just that twist i thought was like there's a lot of really cool stuff done in the ds the ds was a cool yeah. console there was a game called um i think it was called another code or something like that just sorry this is this is just a little digression mm -hmm. but there was a puzzle in that game kev that required you to have to half close the ds so you could reflect one screen onto the other oh and, and create the solution on the screen and i was just like what what a cool little, there was a lot of really cool kind of stuff done with the hardware hmm. um and it's such a because you know it's such a weird moment in time because will we ever get a kind of a touchscreen console with two screens again it's such a like a weird nintendo thing that they did for a while that was just in the zeitgeist for whatever the decade that the ds and the 3ds are around but now they're gone yeah you, so, ha you uh, have you have to feel that the the massive commercial failure of the Wii U has kind of killed that yeah, off. The two screens. I think that's about as close as we got to like a home console with yeah. two screens. And that was criminally underutilized. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, the master writer of, of nine, 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 nine hours, nine persons, nine doors is left in a place where he, no console can tell his opus, <laughs> can, tell, can tell it properly anymore. I hate to be that guy, but to really get the proper game, you've got to go back and play the original DS one, which, Kev, 
I purchased from the United States of America because it did not get a European release. Really? Yeah, yeah, but the, the, the DS was beautifully um, region-free, whatever you call it. Mm. It was like a wonderful thing about that console as well. You could get things like that never got European releases, weird Japanese games and stuff like that. Awesome, but um, yeah. I kind of feel free. With, with, uh, with our last episode when we did uh, Guilty Pleasures, I managed to talk about uh, Virtue's Last Reward and that silly shit. And now I've talked about 999. Finally, I hope for the casual listener that I, I sold that in a way that was interesting. But now I'm just like, oh, cool. I can just do this podcast, you know, and not have to talk about those two games, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're hard to talk about. So now it's just a, the matter of the build up until you do your, your five hour essay on the Danganronpa series. The Danganronpa series where teenagers kill each other and swear a lot. I'll, I'll get it working. To be honest, though, I, 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 a while ago, I was thinking of asking you if it was one of the episodes when it was just you and I. Yep. Uh, if we could do a Zero Escape um episode and now i'm kind of like i'm happy because i don't think it could have filled an episode maybe yeah i think i think we could have filled an episode i just don't think anyone would want to listen to it <laughs> i know it's like all these things we haven't done i'm, I'm just like jones in for a zero escape it's one of, it's another one of my it's not it, you know it's a niche game but it's this is oxymoronic but it's kind of mainstream niche does that make sense it has a following this series yeah. so i'm not just talking about something that only 12 people have played on steam or something like that this, this these games oh, 1200 yeah yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, he didn't. He doesn't have enough money to make another one. <laughs> like that's the kind of that's the kind of situation that it was in. But um, wow, yeah, nine nine nine, two screens. It was amazing. It was it was so shocking. But uh, what do you got next, Kev? Yeah, so you you feel good. You feel like you you've gotten that off your chest. I feel like I just did a fucking workout. Really. Just like sweating <laughs> yeah. here. Well done, buddy. You, um, <laughs> that, that was that was a tough ask and a long walk, and you got through it. I'm proud of you. Pretty much. I'm glad you care. I hope other people care. Yeah, well, don't ask for too much. I care. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the other game that I want to talk about today is, and again, I think this is one that you have played and not finished, and I swear I didn't pick them deliberately just to taunt you, but well, these, I, these are just I, the interesting ones. I did state that I was like, you know, for the for the podcast, I was like, just spoil. It's okay. I don't mind. Just spoil whatever. Yeah, so the the other game I want to talk about today is Near Automata. Automata? I never, never finished it either. Yeah, Automata. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very exciting. I finally find out what happens in that game now via you, via the podcast. Yeah, so uh, Near. I'm going to go Automata from here on because that feels exactly. right. I believe that's correct. I believe yeah. that's correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pinning my colors to the Automata flag. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in Near Automata, it is uh, like an action RPG. Uh, developed by a guy called Yoko Taro and published by um, Platinum Games, who are sort of best known for sort of character Bayonetta. Act- Bayonetta, character action games, big fancy combat games, and Yoko Taro, who's best known for being a mad lad. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is mostly a sort of hack and slash action RPG. Occasionally, it's a visual novel. Sometimes it's a like a, a old school shoot 'em up bullet hell. Um, it kind of it changes genre whenever it feels like it. It is a very sort of artistic and, and stylized game, and it is a true mindfuck. So, how far did you play when you played it first? And did you did you see any endings? Can I answer your question with a question? Yes. How come you didn't call it a horny game as well? Because it is. It's incredibly horny. Oh, I, I knew I could count on you to bring that up. <laughs> Kev, I finished, I got to one ending and then yeah. I played a bit after that, but I believe getting one, finishing the game essentially is not the ending by a long shot, right? Yeah, that's basically the prologue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the game has 26 endings, okay. um, lettered A through Z. And mm-hmm. sort of the majority of them are kind of joke endings like there's there's like a can of tuna that you can find and if you choose to eat it you'll die and you'll get a unique ending okay right it's like that okay so yeah. they're not really 26 like play for hours and hours to get to no, this, like grand no. endings some random joke there's, endings yeah there's like some sort of like plot relevant boss fights during them that if you lose the boss fight you'll see a bespoke ending for that there's i think at the very start of the game if instead of like moving forward and joining the action you turn around and run the other direction you'll get an ending for that it's all that, that oh, sort okay. of stuff for the majority of them but the first five endings a through e are the sort of canonical ones so in the first sort of playthrough, the first route you play as 
uh, to be the um, the uh, the target of all the previous mentioned horniness. Um, <laughs> even if you have no idea what this game is, if you've been on the internet, you've probably seen you've enc- you've encountered her. Yeah, if you've yeah. been on the internet, and 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 some of you, even if you haven't played the game, you encountered her on purpose. I fucking know it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but also 100% yes. Um, so uh, sort of, I'm not going to spoil too much of the plot of this one because I think it's it's genuinely great. I think it, it's it's really interesting, really mm-hmm. insightful. And I, I do want people to maybe give this game a look. You do, you do whatever way you want. Kev. So I'll sort of very briefly, the plot is that you play as 2B, who is a, an android created by the humans. Uh, specifically to fight a war against an army of machines that have been created by an invading race of aliens. So it's kind of a proxy war of androids versus machines where the actual two warring factions, the humans and the aliens, don't interact with each other at all. They just send the robots down to Earth to fight it out on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gang is kind of concerning itself with uh, themes of war, uh, particularly like around Cold Wars and proxy wars and things Um and sort of, it's a lot of sort of introspection on violence and sort of the motivations behind sort of violent acts and things. Um, and as well as that, it's also very horny and you swing giant swords. Um, <laughs> so the first playthrough you play as 2B, you're sort of navigating this plot of this this proxy war between the androids and the machines. Um, you get to the end of that plot line, you get some big uh, plot revelations. There's a final boss fight, credits roll. At the end of the credits, um, apparently Yoko Taro didn't want this in and Square's PR people had to put it in, but there is a text pop-up at the end of the credits where it's like, congratulations on finishing this playthrough. There's a lot more to see, you know, right. click into New Game Plus to, right, right, right. to you know, experience, to get the full near Automata experience. Like Yoko Taro apparently, as I said, mad lad, didn't want that there at all. More people to just sort of find it themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, you you finish the game, you play a second playthrough, and in the second playthrough, you play as a new character. You play as 9S, who is uh, 2B's kind of sidekick throughout the first game. He's with sure. you through a lot of the first game. In the second playthrough, you play essentially the same story, but from his perspective. So you get a bit more context on some plot stuff. You get to see some like big set pieces and combat encounters from his perspective. He controls different. He, he has like a a hacking mini game where you can like hack into the machines. Um, that's all brand new for, for this playthrough. Um, and eventually you get to that same last boss fight. You get the same sort of plot reveals, but with a bit more context and you finish that and it still doesn't feel wrapped up. So then you start a third playthrough and in the third playthrough, you play as a brand new character hmm. unrelated to the first two. And it's a sequel story. It's set after the events of the first two playthroughs. Okay. And the plot just escalates from there. While in, in the first two playthroughs, the plot is very much just about this war between the humans and, and the aliens and their two sort of avatars in the androids and the machines. By the third playthrough, it's about whatever the fuck it wants to be about. It is wild how far off the rails it goes. That playthrough um, ends up with a boss fight you finish it, you get an ending, you have the option to go back and replay the boss fight from the other person's perspective and fight against your own protagonists. Right, right. So yeah. you, you do that, you see a different ending of how it could have gone, and then you get to the ending, the ending ending, the final ending, ending E. And ending E is basically, without getting too caught up in the weirdness of the plot, it's basically two of the sort of um, sort of computer NPCs in the game deciding you know, this has gone on long enough, this sort of cycle of violence of, like, literally within the narrative, the violence is cycling, and then you as the player have been replaying stuff over and over and cycling through the violence. They're like, the cycle of violence has gone on long enough. We're going to break it, break the cycle, give these characters, all of them, 2B, 9S, your new character, give them all a chance to make different choices. Hmm. And the other computer in the conversation is like, but, you know, it, it, is it not all predetermined? Will they not make the same choices again? If someone plays the game again, will they not inevitably end up here as well? And he's like, maybe, but that's not what choice is. You have to give them the choice. So the, the computers basically do this hard reset on all in, within the narrative on all the characters in it. 
set everybody back to zero and credits start to roll. And while the credits are rolling, you're not off the hook yet because a sort of Space Invader style game starts where you're controlling a little ship at the bottom of the screen and you have to survive the credit sequence to get to the end. It's sort of within the narrative, it's the the sort of the, the reboot process is happening and you need to keep the game alive long enough for the reboot to happen. And you yeah. do this by destroying the names of the people who created the game. Ah, yes, I love that. So the intensity <laughs> keeps ramping up and ramping up, and it gets like way too difficult until you like. I think you have like three lives, and you lose two. You're about to die, and just when you're under the most pressure, another ship comes onto the screen and starts shooting as well, and then another one, and another one, and these other ships are kind of just moving back and forth. Sometimes they're shooting at nothing. Sometimes they're shooting at the names you need them to. Um, and with their support, eventually you make it all the way through the credits. You finally destroy the last name, Yoko Taro's. You clear the screen. The loading thing finishes in the background. The process is finished. These characters have been given their new chance at life. And then you're presented with your last action in Nier Automata. Mm-hmm. You're told that each of the ships that you saw during the Space Invaders segment were other players who had finished the game. Okay. And you're asked if you want to add your sort of the ghost of your ship to the network to help other players. Hmm. But in order to do so, you have to agree to fully delete your save file. <laughs> really? Yeah. And does it actually make you do it? It doesn't make you do it. You can choose no. You can choose no. You can, <laughs> you can, you can keep your save file. You can go back in and try to get the other 20-odd endings you want. But if you do that, you don't support the other players. It's interesting. And did it actually make you feel like you wanted to delete your save? I, I absolutely, I, without hesitation, I deleted my save. Yeah. So it works. So the, the, yeah, narrative, yeah. the narrative magic works. Yeah, that's absolutely. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I never heard any of this. This is really cool. Yeah, that's why I was kind of uh, I was like hesitant to uh, talk about it. it. I had years to play yeah. this, you know? I think from a mechanical point of view, that alone is really interesting. Um, but I do think like the, the plot and the gameplay of the game, it's worth the journey to get there, even if you know what there is. Um, yeah. So. Like, I would still recommend playing it, but I don't think you will. I, I own it. I could go back. It's oh, weird. Yeah. I've, done, I've done the opening of that game like three times because I kept like getting a few hours into it and then stopping, but enough time passed. And I was like, wanted to like go back and start it again. Yeah. But then the, the last time I played, I just I got so far and then stopped again. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very good. Mm. I don't know why. I, I think it's just life things, like not, not, nothing against the game. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just found that ending was really effective like there's a lot of there's a lot of like in-game plot and and narrative reasons to get you there as well but sort of on a metatextual level of asking the player to 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 sacrifice the game that they've worked so hard to finish to sacrifice that save file in the interest of helping other people to do the same yeah yeah. like i've that's not something i've I've ever heard of in any way shape or form done anywhere else you know you love to hear you love to see these things being done with um narratives in video games don't you you know yeah for sure would you ever go? I've played near, near, near the first near. Mm. Um, that was very good. Uh, there's another one. What's that one called again? Um, Replicant or something like that. Yes, is Replicant a remake of the first game? Or? So in Japan, the first near came out. It was like Pokemon Red and Blue. There was yeah. two different versions of the game. One of them where you played as an old man, and one of them where you played as a younger man. And the younger man version never got released in the West. And okay. Replicant is a Replicant is that version of the game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And there was, is that, is that the sort of the remake that was released sort of over here relatively recently within the last yeah, couple of years? Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. They remade that one that never got, got outside Japan. Interesting. Yeah. I must, I must give it a look. I believe like there's characters in uh, Automata that I believe are from the original Nier, but I've, oh, I've no never way. played it. Yeah. Well, there's, um, I, yeah, my memory is waning, but there's a magic talking book in the first Nier. There's a, a kind of a kid with a kind of a moon mask. Is he in it? Is he in your one? Uh, no, that's not ringing any bells. Do you want to just like keep, you know, talking about this? Like, trying to like, our, with our vague memories, trying to like find out which characters in which, or will, will I move on to my one? Yeah, there's like, there's, I don't know. Are they <laughs> twins? I can't remember their names. There's like, like Doppela and Popola or something. No, this no. is, I, I don't know. Yes, maybe, but like, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> this, is, this is the content we provide. <laughs> yeah. But that sounds absolutely <laughs> class, though, and I, I love hearing that. But we've done almost three very heady ones. Yep. 
So I might dial it back a little bit for this last one. How about that, Kev? How about that? Yes, please. I am talking about Final Fantasy because why wouldn't I? Absolutely. Why the heck not? My a handful of my favorite endings from anything are from Final Fantasy games. And I'm dialing into my childhood here because the reason why they're my favorite endings from anything is because I was like a child when I played them. I've said over and over in this podcast, I consider myself like kind of a Zelda boy or whatever, you know, but Final Fantasy was the most important um, franchise of anything to me when I was a kid. It was it was my Harry Potter or, what, or whatever you want to yeah. call it. For that kind of timeline of 7, 8, 9, and 10, those releases were the most important things that, you know, were happening to me um, pop culturally. I just thought they were like, you know, groundbreaking. And um, they were my kind of first kind of um, dive into kind of long, long form narratives as well, you know, because I, you know, almost hate to admit it. I like didn't start reading books till I was about 12, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So maybe TV shows would be long form narratives, but I've got really invested. So I could choose any of these games, Kev, um, which is my uh, favorite ending that I've chosen for this episode. Can you guess which Final Fantasy I've chosen, though? I want to throw it at you. Hmm. <laughs> Eight. Yes, I'm choosing Final Fantasy VIII, and I will begin my choice with a, a self-deprecating anecdote. <laughs> I, I may, perhaps I shouldn't because I, I hate to reveal on the podcast my absolute capacity, my my ability to sometimes become completely blackout drunk. But one time I was drinking. <laughs> one time I was drinking in Kev's uh, old apartment where he used to live in Limerick, and we were just up up drinking and I was having a great time. I was on the vodka. And I was just like, yeah, Kev, check this out. I'm going to put on the Final Fantasy VIII ending. We're going to listen to Eyes on Me by Fei Wong. We're going to get emotional. We're going to look at the characters, do their thing. And uh, <laughs> and then I looked over and you were like half bored. And I remember going like, what the? Why aren't you? Like, this is a, like, we became, we almost like became friends over our shared bond of the, playing the same video games when we were younger. Why the hell aren't you interested? And what, what did you say, Kev? Um, I can't remember exactly what I said, but something along the lines of, you always do this. <laughs> Apparently, almost like the seventh time I've been over in your place put and put on the Final Fantasy VIII ending, but I, it was the only time I've ever remembered doing it. Because when I get really drunk, I like really zone in on the things I love. And I guess... <laughs> this is like near in a way it's like the, yeah. all these end, all these endings that happen but i yeah apparently i was just constantly playing final fantasy 8 ending in uh in Kev's house. i never remember doing it and just for context for the listeners this isn't like uh, like a, a three minute music video he was putting on like like 45 minutes of cutscenes. yeah yeah it's a long ass ending about every other week <laughs> all right let's not like let's not give a timeline okay how many times i could do that and not remember it with the outcome of my system this was i was a younger more vigorous man but um, I'm not going to do what we did with the other games and just kind of give a grand sweeping thing of Final Fantasy VIII's plotline. Yeah. Stars um, uh, infamously um, eternally annoyed protagonist called Squall. It's a, it's a very teenage-driven game. All the main characters are teenagers. They're in, they're in a fantasy military school. He has like a rival guy called Cypher. They give each other scars at the beginning of the thing. It's hard. Um, there's a yeah right yeah it's a metaphor maybe there's a big plot line about our main characters every now and then collapsing and being put into the heads of these other people a guy called laguna and you kind of see his story and you're kind of like why are we getting visions of this man's life spoiler it turns out he's actually squall's father and uh, he's seeing kind of you know stories of um his life and squall who was uh you know, like I said, he's like the quintessential kind of pissed off Japanese protagonist. While Laguna, the kind of potentially the deuteragonist of the game, is, um, you know, he's he's one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters, actually. He's just this like kind of lovable guy who kind of keeps failing upwards in life. Yeah. Kind of goes from being in the military to being a journalist, to being an actor, to being like the president of a thing. It's just, he's just a guy who has a storied life. The deta- If I went into details about Final Fantasy's plot, it would very, eighth plot, it would very quickly start getting into, you know, Japanese convoluted nonsense. And I mm-hmm. just did 999, you know, yeah. like there's time travel, there's uh, sorceresses, there's like schools that can fly. It's this whole cool thing. I think with, with a lot of JRPGs, you can just sort of fall back on uh, uh, Yahtzee from The Escapist has a, a useful shorthand for it, where it's uh, a JRPG is a video game where in the third act, a group of teenagers band together and use the power of friendship to kill God. Yeah, for sure. It's every persona. Of course, <laughs> of course. But um, 
at the end of the game, you've time traveled. Like, who cares why? And <laughs> Scott, actually, you should say at this point that Final Fantasy VIII was the first Final Fantasy, and this would be a tradition for the next three games that is very quintessentially a love story. Yeah. I would love to go back and play this game again as like a 34-year-old man and see if that aspect of it holds up. But when I was a kid, I loved it. I was very emotionally attached to the love story of Squall and Renoa. Yeah. I'd like to see now if, you know, Squall deserves her. Because I hate that trope of a guy is an asshole and then the girl makes him better. Like, maybe don't try. Maybe find a guy who's not an asshole. But anyway, that's... Uh, sorry about that. But um, it's... In my memory, it's beautiful, and it's, it's it's a very important part of the game to the point where the logo in Final Fantasy VIII is the two leads embracing. Like this was like this was on the, the you know the project kind of you know header. It was like this is what this game is, you know. But uh, the squad gets lost in time, uh, just time travel shenanigans, and you know it's a very very trippy sequence in the ending where he's kind of kind of warping back to previous parts of the game. You're seeing, and it's all very heady and cool. And for 1999, it was like a Oh my god, the, the graphics were amazing. Yeah. Now maybe not so much, but yeah. But, but then, anyway, Renoa ends up finding him uh, collapsed, and you know, just unconscious, lost in time, and you know, she kind of cries over him, and it cuts away, and the as this song starts playing, because genius composer Nobuo Matsu wrote a fucking love song for this game called Eyes on Me, which is performed by a Hong Kong singer called Fei Wong, and it plays over the rest of the ending. And Kev, the only reason I'm choosing this is because I just. L- I love how domestic and small the ending of Final Fantasy VIII is. Yeah. It just catches up with the other characters. Your rival guy, Cypher, who's, you know, when I was a kid, he was just like, he was a cool, you know, badass guy. But now in my adult, I look at him, he's, he was a troubled kid. Yeah. You know, he was only, these characters are only 18. He was this kind of angsty guy who had these kind of, you know, delusions that he wanted to be a knight. That's why he teams up with the bad guy. But he's, he's actually just a kind of troubled, lonely guy. And, you know... You know, when the, when the game decides to check in with him for the, for this finale, it's not, you know, for a massive plot resolution. It's just you see him hanging out with his two crony slash best friends and they're fishing and one of them kicks the other one into the water and he starts laughing. And it's just a nice moment to just show, you know, this villain, he's human and he's in a good place now. And uh, that that's all it is. And then we cut, we cut to Laguna and it... Starts giving back, you know, you're just discovering things about like he ended up marrying this character called Rain. We never knew they were married until this point, but now she's passed away, but he's raising her daughter. And it's just like, let's just check in. Let's just listen to this lovely love song. Let's check in. And then the credits roll. And there's a sequence where five or four of our main characters, uh, Zell Quistus, I can do this, Kev, yep. Selfie, and, Selfie and Irvine, are hanging out at a party where everyone's celebrating because they saved the damn world. And it's all from the point of view of like a, a VCR camera, you know? Mm. And it's just them hanging out. There's there's the end of a plot thread where there's a comedic plot thread in the game where Zell can never get hot dogs in the cafeteria, but now he's eating hot dogs. <laughs> uh, Selfie and Irvine are flirting. She puts on his hat. They're definitely fucking at this point. That's my headcanon. One hondo. You know, yeah. Uh, and it's just like, I don't mind saying this. It's just the cutest damn thing ever. It's just, it's like, and and at the time when I was playing, when I was like 10, I just, I was kind of perplexed at why this wasn't a big grand finale. Why are we checking in with these characters in these small moments? But that's the kind of resolution of the game is to just spend time with the characters. And after the credits, then you see um, Renoa on a balcony and yeah, Squall's there with her too. He, he, she saved him from time, I guess. And he's alive. And I think he smiles for the first time in the entire game. And they just embrace and kiss and the game ends. And yeah, like I said at the top, when I'm drunk, I put this ending on, I guess. <laughs> it just gives me the fuzzy wuzzies, and there's really nothing beyond that, not no point I'm trying to make about its impact on gaming culture and like that. It just absolutely gives me the fuzzy wuzzies, and it's emblematic of my absolute adoration for Final Fantasy VIII, a flawed game, but one I will always stand up for. And like, if I meet someone and they like Final Fantasy VIII, even more than maybe any other game in history, if they like Final Fantasy VIII, I'm like, you're fucking cool. You're a, <laughs> you're a cool person. Because this is the one, it's kind of been, history hasn't been kind to it. I think there's an opinion about VIII, Kev. Are you finding that? It's kind of yeah. an opinion about that one. You you never find hate for 10 or 9 anymore. Mm. 6 is on a massive pedestal. 7, yeah. obviously. Yeah. 7 gets some shit, but only because it's the big one. Yeah. But um, eight is kind of iffy, and I I don't know. It's like as good as the other ones, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would always have a, a real soft spot for eight, despite my complaining when you'd 
put the ending on. But it was only after, to be fair, I'd, I'd sat through it five or six times at that point, quite happily. <laughs> See, I think, possibly, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you don't have other friends who play Final Fantasy's eight ending. So that's kind of my role in your life. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> if, if anybody I know is going to do it, I'm counting on you, so... <laughs> And I do, and I honestly, I could kind of shout on about the ending of ten as well. Um, yes, I was going to bring that the, up actually. The, the ending the of ten, end, the, is... the bittersweet ending of ten, the, the the very romantic happy ending of nine. Kind of, actually, also bittersweet. Actually, the character dies. What am I talking about? But, but um, <laughs> and and it's I, I'd kind of end up coming to just the same kind of you know reasons why I chose it is that yeah to reuse the term to give me the fuzzy wuzzies. I just think they're nice. I was glad when I was a kid. I was handed media that had very kind of you know nice human moments and characters in it like i'm glad i didn't wasn't handed duke nukem i was handed final fantasy 7 you know yeah i'm eternally grateful for that shit i'm not saying i wasn't there playing fucking doom and you know loaded on the ps1 you know i had my 90s big gun games as well but um i'm eternally grateful that i played these games when i was uh, a kid because they had a massive impact on me and um yeah i'm kind of you know in love with them in a way but that's that's all i gotta say and very well said it was too thank you very much um ironically kev <laughs> ironically <laughs> do you know where we are now uh, well kev is it, ta- is, it, is it time for a word from our sponsors <laughs> no this is the ending of the podcast um, it's the ending of the episode that was about endings which i think is never going to happen for us again so we should enjoy this moment in a similar way that we live apart now. We live in different counties. So perhaps I'll never play you Final Fantasy VIII ending again. Oh, don't so say that. Should... <laughs> so that's that's, that's honestly quite upsetting. <laughs> we should cherish these moments. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in to listen. I'm sorry about 999, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I hope you enjoyed listening to me describe that. Also, Kev, you're not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. I'm smiling. Kev, I thought both of your choices were super interesting. So well done. Like, pat yourself in the back on that one, man. And... um Hey everyone. <laughs> hey everyone, please join us next time on Hey Look Listen. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.